0: Airline's confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, a world leader in the design, manufacture and service of aircraft and helicopter engines and auxiliary power units. Prattwhitney.com. TA Connections, the industry's most comprehensive airline lodging and crew logistics program. TAconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines and Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale, seaburycapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com.
1: Well, hello there and welcome to Airlines Confidential. I'm Ben Baldanza, ready to give you all my opinions, whether you want to hear them or not.
2: Hey, listeners, I'm Chris Chimes, and Ben, uh, I can't wait to hear your opinions, and I'm sure our listeners can't either. Hope you had a good week. I know you were on vacation, and you were in some airports and on some airplanes, so anything interesting to share with us or observe? Well, thanks, Chris. Yeah, my family
1: and I took a vacation that encompassed four airplane trips, seven hotel nights, and uh, lots of restaurants. (laughs) So we, we got a little slice, anecdotal admittedly, of sort of the current travel piece, no issues on the flights in terms of you know, people having to be duct taped to their seats or anything like that. So that was good. Airports were pretty full, which I saw was encouraging. I didn't see anybody that looked like a business traveler, but that's consistent with what we know the traffic is right now. The thing that struck me most on this trip, Chris, was the shortage of labor in the restaurant space. Literally every restaurant we ate at in three different cities, showed signs of, you know, needing more people to work there and the waiters and waitresses sort of working their tails off. And in one case, a restaurant that we knew and wanted to go to that's been in where it is for a long time, they showed no availability to make an online reservation. So we called and they said, no, sure, come in. And when we went in, more than half the tables were empty. And we said, why do you have no online reservations? And they said, well, we just can't serve more than about a third or uh, 40% of our tables because we can't hire up. Wow. And I just thought that was really interesting. And then to top all that off, um, one of our last days, we went to this um, very good French bakery in Fort Lauderdale called Croissant Time. Anyone who goes to Fort Lauderdale should try it. Those who live there probably know it. And they have a sign outside offering $20 an hour for counter help. So these aren't the people to make the delicious croissants. You know, It's the people to serve them and pour the coffee and things. And I just thought, wow, if that's the way the economy's moving, where businesses like that need to pay $20 an hour to get people to work there, that could be a great thing for workers, but it also could mean higher prices for everyone too. So those were my thoughts on the trip.
2: Yeah, I was laughing. We were out to dinner for just a casual meal, and my wife wanted a chicken sandwich, and they had a fried chicken sandwich, and she asked the waitress, can, can I have it grilled? And the waitress didn't blink an eye. She said, no. <laughs> we're short-staffed in the kitchen, and there's no special requests. I'm like, you got a grilled chicken salad, so there must be someone back there grilling chicken, but she wasn't going to budge, so... Anyway, interesting little footnotes to your trip. I'm sure we'll both be on planes more this summer so we can uh, share those observations. But as we start taking our journeys, let's take a trip around the airline newsroom. And uh, first up, government regulation in the U.S. Last week, President Joe Biden announced a series of regulatory initiatives on a variety of topics aimed at consumer protection and business competition, ranging from prescription drug prices to prohibiting non-compete clauses and employment agreements Nothing is a final rule. He's basically just asking federal agencies to start the federal rulemaking process. But included in this, and of interest to our listeners, are some proposed rules aimed at airlines and airline passengers, such as timely refunds for ancillary fees when the service isn't delivered, like baggage fees and in-flight Wi-Fi charges. Ben, in the highly likely chance you have an opinion, what did you think about the airline specific discussion? You know,
1: I really don't have an opinion on this, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, of course, I've been really interested in this. couple things. First of all, I mean, I read what was available to read about this. And one of the things that the order strongly suggests is transparency to consumers. And I'm all for that. I actually think that's really important that – Customers know what they're buying, know what things are charged for, what fees are there, what they are, things like that. My concern about that, Chris, goes to your former world, sort of the global distribution system, the Expedias, the orbits of the world. It's hard for people like Greg Webb, who we talked with last week, who serve 400 airlines or sell 400 plus airlines to be able to put every single fee they charge for. So if this rule says you have to be transparent and you buy on Travelport and there's a bag fee you didn't expect, does the airline get fined or does Travelport get fined? Like who violated that rule? So I think that's something that's going to have to be cleared up. The second is the idea that you should get your bag fee refunded if it's not given to you in a reasonable time, that seems very fair to me. I'm not sure about whether 12 hours is the right number or not, but maybe that's okay. My first thought on that was that's really going to affect the big airlines more than the low-cost carriers. And I say that because most of the bags that are displaced from their owner (laughs) happen when people connect. The passenger runs to the gate To get their connecting flight, the bag doesn't always make it. And low cost carriers don't connect that much, fly mostly point to point. So, where most of the bag mishandlings happen in the industry are in connections, that means that rule is going to more directly affect carriers like American United and Delta than the point to point carriers and Southwest, who connects quite a bit actually. And then the last thing. You asked for an opinion, so I'm giving to you, <laughs> giving it to you. Because the last thing was on Wi-Fi. This one, I think they gotta be careful about this one. So if there's no Wi-Fi, I guess there's no problem if the Wi-Fi doesn't work, right? Because you can't get it. So this is a case where there is Wi-Fi, but it doesn't work. But Wi-Fi doesn't work everywhere in the country. And if you fly like from Florida to New York, for example, you're often fairly far off the coast where land-based Wi-Fi might not work, satellite might, right? And so what expectation will this give the customer? If I pay for Wi-Fi and it's available for most of the flight, but isn't available for a particular 30 minutes where I really wanted to respond to an email, Can I then complain and get my money back? Or if I'm watching a movie, but I miss the real strong ending because the service goes out because you know that's just where the plane is, do I get my money back? That one seems really problematic to me in a sense. Now, on the other hand, the Wi-Fi charges are not as much as the bag charges, so maybe it's easier for the airlines to give them back. But I can certainly see if you pay and you get nothing, then you should get your money back. But that one just seems really tough to me. So that's my thoughts on what I read about this. I'm sure you had some thoughts on this too, Chris.
2: Well, one on the Wi-Fi piece, uh, it had been over a year since I'd flown and I'd crawl on a couple of airplanes the last month. I'm surprised how much more Wi-Fi costs than it did in 2020. It seemed like rather significantly, like $15 for a one-hour session, uh, which surprised me. But I think what would help is some disclaimer that on this route, the Wi-Fi is not going to be available. You know, I routinely fly between Miami and Texas. And as you're flying over the Gulf, it just goes dead for the longest period. And so why are you charging me for two hours when you know that based on this route, I'm only going to probably get 65 minutes of connectivity? Right. So I think it's it, it's just... Like you said, the transparency of what you know and sharing it. And then just on the general topic of overregulation, um, I know that you know airline executives aren't going to like some of these ideas. I have spent uh, a lot of time writing speeches and congressional testimony in my career about overregulation of the airline business. But sometimes the business kind of shoots itself in the foot too. And like the bag fees and the refundable nature of the bag fees, if the bag isn't delivered, is an example where... That shouldn't require regulation. It just should be standard practice by carriers. If the bag isn't delivered in X hours, we'll refund your fee. Instead, as I went hunting over the past few days, like looking at websites, it's kind of sketchy. You know, sometimes it says, if we don't deliver your bag, you may be eligible. Sometimes it doesn't say anything. That should just be standard practice. If you don't deliver the service, give the customer the money back. So those are examples where I think, you know, Some airlines do it better than others, but because some airlines don't do it very well, there's going to be a regulation in this topic. So
1: That's really smart, Chris, and I think that's right. Also on the bags, what is delivery of the bag? If if an airline gets it to the bag belt you expected on 12 hours later, but that means you have to drive back to the airport and don't get it for 18 hours, did they deliver the service or not? I mean, I'm not arguing that they did, but again, there's there's gray area in this stuff,
2: right? And look, you know, if Allegiant flies one flight a day uh, uh, every third day, they're not going to be able to get a bag to the customer very quickly. Versus an airline flying six or eight frequencies during the day, there's some expectation that you're going to get the bag on the next flight into the guest. So, like you said, it's going to hit uh, different airlines in different ways. But because of a few sloppy Actors, with regard to how they implement these regulations, you know, the industry is likely going to get swept in some things they don't like. And, And then, been fresh off its aircraft order announcement last week, United announced 137 new daily flights for this coming winter from its hubs to warm weather destinations. Lots of Florida service, along with Mexico and Central America from the West Coast and the Caribbean from the Northeast. So I really didn't think there was much more Florida service that could be absorbed, especially after Frontier, JetBlue, and Spirit announcements over the past few months. But I guess I was wrong again. It's clear that leisure travel is going to continue to be the focus of the carriers into the winter. But my question for you is, what does this say about the prospects for these smaller carriers and startups as even the major carriers continue to chase the traffic and low-yield leisure markets and flood the market?
1: It's a great question, Chris. And even though the cost structure of United is a lot higher than, say, Breeze is going to be, them putting seats in the same kinds of markets puts pressure on prices. So Breeze may set the price, but United's going to match that price. And if they fill their plane and Breeze doesn't, that's going to be a challenge. I think it is a challenge. It doesn't surprise me that United made this announcement in terms of It's flights to and from its hubs. United has been on a strategy for the last couple of years of really building up its hubs. When Scott Kirby took over the airline, took over the CEO role, I mean, of the airline, he commented on the fact that he felt their hubs were underdeveloped and they were giving up traffic largely to American and Delta whose hubs were better developed. So they've been putting a lot more flights in the hubs, really focusing on that And so now adding more flights into the warm weather places where people go, I'm not sure if Florida can handle all that capacity or Mexico and the Caribbean can, but it's the best option too. I used to joke that the New York to Florida market was like a gas, meaning that it expanded to fit any container, (laughs) right? (laughs) And Maybe I was sort of, you know, there was a bit hyperbole, but I'm not sure how many other places to Orlando, to Miami, Tampa, places like that can really absorb everything that goes in there. We're going to have to see, but price is going to be the major driver. And an airline like United maybe can subsidize a little bit more than some of the the newer guys can. I think the well-structured and longer-serving low-cost carriers, The Jet Blues, the Spirits, the frontiers of the world are going to be fine even with this United expansion because they make money on low fares anyway, and they carry leisure traffic almost exclusively anyway. But for the new guys, it certainly does create a a stronger competitive environment than maybe they were thinking of coming right out of COVID.
2: Well, using your gas analogy, now it's almost like, Water finding the lowest point of entry. (laughs) Uh, So everything's like running downhill. So I also saw last week where Flair out of Canada was going to start, you know, as the border opens up, they were starting their own new service to some of these markets like Las Vegas and Mesa Phoenix and Sanford, Orlando, and Lauderdale. So, you know, there's more coming.
1: More coming, and there's a big difference if you're a Canadian airline, whether you can serve transborder or not, right, (laughs) in terms of how much you can fly. That's right. Well, more news in a second, but a reminder that Clear makes travel safer and easier. Become a member of Clear, and you'll enjoy frictionless journeys when you use Clear's home-to-gate feature, which lets you know exactly the best time to leave for the airport. Plus, Clear's signature experience helps you move seamlessly through airport security. Where will you go? Get back out there with Clear. I used Clear on my trip, Chris, and it worked great.
2: <laughs> I've uh, thought about signing up a couple times as I was standing in, in some longer lines where TSA pre-check wasn't available. So uh, I should probably get on that. Uh, ben, uh, piggybacking on the discussion we just had a moment ago about low-cost carriers and startups, uh, Avalo also published its winter schedule last week. And less than two months after starting up is pulling out of three markets, uh, specifically Grand Junction, Colorado. Mesa, Arizona, and Bozeman, Montana. Are you concerned, surprised, or nonplussed?
1: I would say a little
2: surprised
1: that they had to pull out so quickly, but not surprised that they would react if things weren't working. One of the features of well-structured airlines, actually, and low-cost airlines especially is a flexibility to say if something isn't booking, find something else to do with that asset. Avalos still doesn't have very many airplanes. So if they say, look, we can make more money sending it here rather than there, I'm a little surprised it happened so quickly. The bookings on those three must have just been really tough. And I don't know whether that's because of competition they had from Frontier or Alaska or something else, or whether they just didn't stimulate the way Avalo thought they would. So I'm a little surprised that three cities already at a stop when they start the service in New Haven it's going to be interesting to see of whatever markets they pick from there, which ones might only last, you know, 60 days.
2: Yeah, I was a little concerned/slash surprised, if only like less than two weeks ago or so, Andrew Levy was doing an interview with the Grand Junction newspaper talking about all their plans for Grand Junction service. And then this news comes out last week. So either this was a last minute decision or they knew it wasn't working, but we're trying to put on a good face. Uh, I don't know. But my advice would have been to kind of like stay out of a market you're getting ready to pull out of as far as media coverage, because then you just have more to explain. But maybe this was a last minute decision.
1: I think it must have been because I think the team running Avalo is experienced and they should know what you just said, that you don't talk about how big you're going to be in a place a week before you pull out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Meanwhile, and finally, as we wrap up the news discussion, uh, even though we beat this dead horse and airlines confidential guests like Declan Ryan have stated that it can't be done successfully, another European carrier is making a run at the low-cost long-haul market. In this case, the Icelandic carrier Play debuted on the NASDAQ First North Stock Exchange last week. They're planning to fill the void left by the collapse of Norwegian Air and Wow flying the transatlantic. And they'll be using Airbus 321 Neos. So, Ben, let me give you a second to get up on your soapbox and get settled. We're taping on Sunday, so take our listeners to church about our prospects for play. Will they do any better with this aircraft?
1: (laughs) Well, play is being started by ex WoW executives. And what they know is that when WoW, was small. And when it was using exclusively the A320 and A321, the airline made money connecting people over Reykjavik, largely from North America into popular US destinations. And they became sort of a, a real popular place for backpackers, especially who wanted to get to Europe cheap and maybe spend a couple of days in Iceland as a bonus on the trip. And that worked. Wow got in trouble when they added wide bodies, which really complicated their network, and they grew so quickly that they couldn't absorb that growth, the the folks running play says they learned that message, and they're not going to make those mistakes. So we'll have to see. Reykjavik, Iceland has beautiful geography in that it's on the way from many North American cities to Europe or not particularly off the way, I should say. It's a nice place for a stopover. And you can reach a lot of great destinations with the A321. So they could have a nice network. Maybe not as broad as Wow's was, but that's what hurt Wow. So if they do things right, I agree with Declan, and I'm not a fan of low-cost long haul. But if they keep it small they keep the seat size to the markets they can serve, and they keep the risk low by using the narrow body, I think they have a better chance by connecting in Reykjavik versus all the nonstop stuff that Norwegian did, and by slow growth and keeping it all narrow body, which is something Wow moved away from.
2: Okay. Well, you heard it here. Everybody likes winners. We like success in the airline business. So we'll watch this story. Hopefully, they'll be able to to crack the code here where others have failed. So we'll see. We'll be right back with more Airlines Confidential. Thanks to the support of the specialty finance and investment banking firm of Seabury Capital Group. Seabury's award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge, along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, and an unmatched depth of relationships with decision-makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaberrycapital.com.
0: The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome back to
2: Airlines Confidential and to our listener questions. Remember, you can leave a question on our voicemail at 202 964 or you can email us at questions at airlinesconfidential.com or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts. We're available on all the major podcast platforms, and you can ask Amazon Alexa or Google Assist to turn us on. Just say, play the Airlines Confidential podcast. Ben, our first question is from Colin Barbara from Massachusetts. Colin, I hope I got your last name right there. And it gets four stars on the airline geek scale. He's asking about airfare comparisons from 2019 to 2021. He writes, U.S. airlines received more than one relief package during the 2021 period from the government. Since we're providing airlines aid, I would believe one of the conditions would be restrictions on increases of airfares for a period of time. I ran a quick analysis of some trips I took between 2017 and 19, and found that if I booked them again during this same period in 2021, prices have increased on average by 50%. There was one case that the price decreased by 39% and another that the price increased by 217%. Would you comment on the increase in ticket prices and offer a more complete analysis comparing 2021 ticket prices versus 2019? Thanks, guys.
1: Four stars for sure, or maybe even five stars. (laughs) That's a great question, but from Colin. My sense is that you are going to see, as Colin did, increases in fares versus 2019 and decreases in some. The difference is that the networks the airlines are flying are different than they were in 2019. And the mix of traffic on the planes is also very different one of the reasons that some of the flights that you're looking at, Colin, had lower fares in 2017 and 2019 is that there were business travelers on those flights as well. And so the airlines could effectively use their higher fare to offer you a lower fare by subsidizing a bit. Now, pretty much everyone on the plane – is like you, Colin, in the sense that you're probably traveling for leisure and for fun. And so when there are no business travelers there, the only way for especially you know the biggest airlines that make up 80% of all the seats in the US, with their cost structures, they almost have to charge more when the plane's filled with all leisure travelers. That's one reason. Another reason, I think, is that the combination of New networks that the airlines are flying by focusing on the hubs and low-cost carriers continuing to expand means that depending on the route you're looking at, if it's a place dominated by low-cost carriers, you're probably going to see a reduction in price versus 2017, 2019. Um, but if it's not then you're probably going to see an increase as well because, again, they've got to fill that new capacity like United adding all that service into their hubs and so on. It's a crazy thing. I agree with you. The one thing I would disagree a little bit with you, Colin, is whether or not the federal government should get involved in price setting in the airline business. That's something that went away In October 1978, when the industry was deregulated through the Airline Deregulation Act that said the federal government did not have a role in deciding where airlines flew or what they could charge. And so to put strings around the relief packages saying, but that means you have to charge lower prices, I think would be difficult. I'm not saying impossible. I'm not an attorney, right? But I think it would be difficult for them to do. And the aid packages were really about employment more than anything. And they kept people employed who otherwise would have gone on unemployment. And now that we're looking at a real busy summer, it's kind of a good thing we did that as taxpayers in the sense is that the pilots are trained, the flight attendants are there, the mechanics are there to get all those flights running. But I think this is a fantastic question. Thank you, Colin.
2: Yeah, and I like your answer, Ben. Um, And I think uh, we need to remember, too, that there were strings attached to the aid in the context of employment, like you said, stock buybacks that were prohibited. Uh, You couldn't use this money to pay stockholders. So there certainly were some things that Congress included with the aid to guide behavior. But if we're going to get into the business of managing prices again, that's a whole new thing. The other thing that Colin's uh, question prompted was, you know, when it comes to, like, airline data geeks, I, I don't think there's anyone better than John Heimlich from Airlines for America. And we ought to have him on soon. John, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on as a guest to talk about some of these trends and some of these facts. Pratt & Whitney is the world leader in the design, manufacture, and service of aircraft and helicopter engines and auxiliary power units. Pratt & Whitney has the broadest and deepest experience in all forms of aircraft propulsion, To learn more about their 95 years of innovation and how they power the future flight, visit prattwhitney.com.
1: Chris, we have another listener asking about airline loyalty and status. I know we touched on this a while back, but Brittany from Los Angeles is raising it again in an interesting way. Hi, guys. Longtime listener. Love the show. Pre-pandemic, I was a frequent international business traveler. After years circling the globe for work, I finally made United's global services effective 31 January 2020 and got to enjoy those benefits on exactly three trips before the world shut down. There's been much talk about how business travel will be slow to return post-COVID, but we all know how important business travelers are to the balance sheets of airlines like United. So far, United has generously extended top-tier status earned – Pre pandemic, despite everyone being stuck at home, a move that has certainly bolstered the company's reputation in my circles and reinforced my loyalty. Would love your thoughts on how you see airlines like United navigating the next year or two with regards to their customer loyalty and status relationships. And what in particular you would recommend they do to keep the faith with those business travelers that account for such a disproportionate share of their revenue at least in normal times. Thanks.
2: Well, Brittany, thanks again. It's a it was a good question before, it's still a relevant question because airline and C-suite executives are thinking about passengers like you every day. <laughs> missing you and wanting you back on airplanes so as we've talked about previously you know I think carriers are doing quite a bit to maintain the loyalty of their top-tier passengers whether it be uh, lowering tiers or ramping up ways to earn counting other ways to earn towards status like credit card spend you recognizing someone like Brittany probably Racked up their miles on international travel because of client based travel needs. That's going to get harder to achieve because there's either not a lot of service or not a lot of demand for international travel, or borders are still closed. If you were, you know, someone flying to and from London every couple of weeks, you're probably not doing that uh, right now. So There are going to be some struggles to be able to achieve the status you had before, but I don't think it's for the lack of trying by carriers. And so I think what's going to happen is as we get more towards the end of the year, you're going to see some carriers thinking about how to extend those privileges in certain kinds of ways, whether it be to top tier corporate accounts, whether it be, again, some modest extension of status into 2022. But I think it's also going to be tied to the behavior in 2021. I mean, somebody who doesn't fly at all in 2021 expecting an extension again into 2022 very well might be disappointed. So you got to show an effort. And I think the carriers will be looking for ways to keep your loyalty because they ultimately want you back on their planes often as a top tier uh, high revenue guest.
1: I think you're exactly right, Chris. And I think that will be positioned more as a carrot than a stick in the sense that it'll show up in your inbox, for example, as, you know, hey, fly X number of times and maintain your status or something like that, as opposed to since you didn't fly, I'm taking it away. I think it'll be sort of pitched as a promotion. I agree that airlines have been smart in sort of just extending people's loyalty, knowing that they couldn't really have the opportunity to fly as much as they did. But as soon as they sense that they could be flying again, they're going to want to make sure they are. You're exactly right. Well, Chris, our finer wine is from Christina in New York City. Christina says, I just returned from a trip to Vail. I hope she had a good time. The flight from Vail to DFW was packed with families, which makes sense. It's the middle of summer. But I was surrounded by a family of three adults and three small kids who were beyond rude and disruptive. The kids were literally standing on their seats during the landing approach. And one of them bolted from their parent and was running down the aisle as we were taxiing to the gate. The flight attendants witnessed this behavior throughout the flight, but never said a word. Although the lead attendant did get on the PA during the mad dash down the aisle after we landed. I know flight attendants have a tough job and I know they can't control every person's behavior, but I feel like complaining to the airline, but I'm not even sure about what, except for a miserable experience that I paid $900 for. Chris, is this a (laughs) fine or a Um, I think it's a,
2: Justified fine. Although, you know, I'm with Christina in recognizing that flight attendants, there's only so much they can do to control wild kids and behavior or wild adults and behavior for that matter. But I don't think it hurts to constructively make a complaint to the carrier because they might've gotten multiple complaints. And this is a coaching opportunity for flight attendants. Flight attendant uh, management wants to see these kinds of things and like, look at how do we better equip flight attendants to handle these kinds of situations? So I wouldn't necessarily demand anything, but I think it's worthy of just uh, submitting a, an online comment and letting, let them know your seat number and your freaking flyer number and the like, you might be surprised to get a little freaking flyer, bonus in your account for, again, constructively approaching a situation and sharing your observations and recognizing there isn't a lot to do to fix it, but you're not going to get a refund. But you know, perhaps from the airline's point of view, the flight attendants could have been a little more direct after watching this behavior for an hour or so on the flight to remind remind the parents as we're approaching on landing, those kids need to be in their seats. So I think it's, it's kind of a, a fine to go ahead and complain.
1: I agree with you on that, Chris, and I would be surprised if the airline doesn't respond in some way, whether it's frequent flyer points or maybe you know some sort of discount on a future trip or something like that. That makes sense to me. Well, as we get ready for our closing shout outs, a shout out first to TA Connections, which partners with more than 140 aviation and cruise line companies and hundreds of thousands of hotels worldwide. They monitor and track room utilization to ensure that you get the most out of the rooms you buy and you only pay for what was consumed, which means a true savings to your organization. Learn what they can do for you at TAConnections.com. Connections is a fleet core company. So, Chris, my real shout out goes to an airline we already talked about on this show, and that's Play. Iceland is a beautiful place. The people there are terrific people. And while Iceland Air does a nice job serving the country, they also tend to be fairly high price. So bringing more traffic into Iceland with a low-cost airline worked initially with WoW. And I really hope this really good group of people find success by maybe keeping things a little bit slower and a little bit smaller than WoW Trident.
2: I like that, band And like we talked about, we like success. So um, we're going to be rooting for play here. My shout out is going to go to Brad Paisley. And th- I know this is kind of weird, but he's got a new hit single, City of Music, about Nashville. And it's part of a campaign to promote tourism to Tennessee. And he's got Delta America and Southwest who've all stepped up and are providing $2.5 million in airline gift cards to 10,000 people who book two-night stays in hotels in more than 60 properties across the state. So I think this is a unique way to promote tourism and it's nice to see the airlines step up and participate in this. So uh, good luck on that. Hope somebody who's listening uh, gets a $250 gift card if they uh, follow this promotion. And with that, it's bye for me. Thanks for joining us.
1: Great shout out, Chris. And I bet other cities are going to be watching to see how well this works and maybe we'll see this expand to other places too. Are you listening, Pittsburgh? Have a good week, everyone. See you next week back here on Airlines Confidential.
0: This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.